Hi, everyone, and welcome back for the 28th episode of Take It or Leave It, where we discuss the hottest topics in the world of workplace leaves, absence management, and accommodations. I'm your host, Josh Seidman. Well, another Thanksgiving is in the books, and I feel like I am finally no longer full. Uh, It's taken a few weeks for me to get there. With Turkey Day behind us, many families are understandably turning their attention to the next wave of holidays to round out the year. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and of course, New Year's. While those of us in the leaves and accommodations world also fondly look forward to these celebrations, we also have an eye on January 1st, because that day historically is prime time for new state and local leave and time off laws to go into effect. Lucky or unlucky for us, depending on how you look at things, the 2023 send-off and welcoming of 2024 will be no different. In the paid sick leave and paid time off law world, there are major changes coming online in California, Illinois, Minnesota at the start of 2024. However, the scope of leave and time off law developments that begin in 2024 is not limited to paid sick leave and paid time off laws. Oh, no. In particular, and so significantly, the country's next paid family and medical leave mandate, the Colorado Family and Medical Leave Insurance Program, or FAMLI, F-A-M-L-I program, as it's commonly called, will officially start providing leave benefits to eligible employees at the start of 2024. Given the impending family start date and the major impact it will have on Colorado employers, and their employees. I am so incredibly excited and grateful to have Tracy Marshall, director of the Colorado Family and Medical Leave Insurance Division, join me for today's Take It or Leave It episode. Tracy joined the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment, CDLE, in September of 2021 to stand up the new Paid Family and Medical Leave Insurance Division, or Family Division. Tracy has been a registered nurse for over 30 years and holds her bachelor's in nursing from the University of Wales. She is a board certified uh, as a case manager and disability management specialist and is credentialed with the Society of Human Resources Management as a senior certified professional. Prior to joining CDLE, Tracy was a director of clinical operations for Guardian Life Insurance's Ashes Management Company. Tracy, welcome to Take It or Leave It. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much. Happy to be here with you today. Oh, me as well, Tracy. I'm so, so happy to be chatting with you. You know, since I heard you speak at an event over the summer, a uh, Disability Management Employer Coalition event, I was hoping we'd get a chance to speak about Colorado Family, uh, cover some of the important aspects of this program, and today is the day. <laughs> Great. Yeah, and you know, this this episode, it's a really nice coming full circle moment for me personally in my career as a leave and accommodations counselor and attorney. Four years ago, last month, I flew from my, my home in New York uh, out to Denver uh, for an in-person meeting with the Colorado Paid Family and Medical Leave Implementation Task Force, uh, the very, very early stages before any program was, was being stood up. And I discussed during the meeting the country's then paid family leave patchwork, the burden the patchwork has created on multi-state and national employers. And, and that, by the way, was back in 2019. The patchwork today, by comparison, is a full tapestry of complexity. And I also discussed how certain substantive aspects of a potential Colorado paid family medical leave program could be designed to resolve some of the burdens and inconsistencies created by these other state programs. It was a really exciting meeting, and I recall going back and forth with several of the individuals on the the 13-member task force that was appointed uh, by the state on various paid family leave pros and cons. Uh, So 
really excited, you know, that today we're here to discuss the Colorado Family Program and its ramp up is nearly finished. The program benefits are you know, mere days away from becoming eligible and available uh, to workers. So to start our discussion, I'm hoping you can tell us a bit about Colorado Family, the program's history, key dates that have occurred over the last few years, uh, and your and your team's role in administering the program. Yeah, I'm happy to. That's a big question. But for Colorado, we're unique in that we are the first and so far the only state to have passed this initiative through the ballot. So this was not something that came through the legislative process for the state of Colorado. This went directly to the voters. And that happened in November of 2020, which for all of us was certainly a very emotive time with the pandemic and time away from work and needing pay when you need to take time away from work were topics that were certainly top of mind for everyone. And Colorado was no different there. The voters decided 57% support to back this program and to tell us that they really did want us to create this program for the state of Colorado. The Department of Labor and Employment was tasked with building out a division, and I was brought on along with several other people to, to kick that off and get things going. As far as major milestones are concerned, we started collecting premiums from employers and employees in January of 2023, and that's all being done systematically. They log into a portal, they can upload information, and that's all done very, very easily for them with technology. And then in August of this year, we launched something that, again, is unique to the state of Colorado, where we're trying to prevent healthcare providers from needing to shuffle around pieces of paper. Because honestly, nobody went through seven years of medical school to fill out a form. So we're really trying to take away the paperwork burden and make their process as simple as it can be and to tie it into our technology platforms. So in August of this year, we launched our healthcare provider portal, and we've seen many healthcare providers throughout the state register in that system, which means that they can literally approve leaves for their patients with the click of a button. So that certainly does make the process a lot more streamlined for everyone. Just about two weeks ago now, so we launched a portal in which claimants can begin to submit their claim requests. So that is up and running and fully functional. We're seeing a lot of our, um, a lot of our people that are looking for bonding leaves. They're getting those applications in. They know that they're going to be eligible on January 1st. And we have around a thousand claims that have come through the system so far successfully. And those people can anticipate seeing their benefits that first week in January. Wow, Tracy, that that was absolutely fantastic. Such great background and, and overview of how the system is being set up, what, what you all and your team are, are working through. You know, I always forget about that ballot initiative point, you know, going back to the infancy of, of this program. And it's a, it's a really good and useful call out uh, and background. And uh, congratulations that claimants are already sending, uh, able to send in their requests. You know, I'm, I'm sure plenty of, of workers across the state are chomping at the bit. So uh, it's, it's nice that the program uh, doors have opened, even though the benefits don't become fully available uh, until January 1st, that the doors are open uh, to help ease some of that administrative burden. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's great to see. And that was certainly done from our perspective in a very strategic way to make sure we didn't have a backlog and to make sure that we could take care of people as efficiently as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To continue to level set things for our listeners, can you briefly discuss some of the sort of the substantive highlights of the family program? So things like who's eligible, which employers are covered, the amount of leave benefits being provided, scope of absences, you know, things along those lines. Yeah, I certainly can. So essentially kind of the nuts and bolts of this is that workers can take up to 12 weeks in a 12-month period. That could go up as high as 16 weeks if a mother experiences complications during childbirth or pregnancy. But that 16 weeks is only for the childbearing parent, not for both parents. We do have a very expensive definition of family in the state of Colorado. It's not necessarily somebody that you're connected to through birth or marriage. It's the people in your life that are important to you, your people, the person that you would call at two o'clock in the morning when life is starting to go wrong. Those are your covered family members as far as Colorado is concerned. Uh, you can take leave for the birth or placement of a new child, whether that's through adoption, foster placement, through childbirth. You can take leave if you need to help support a family member who's going to be heading out on a military deployment. We also offer something that we're calling safe leave in Colorado. And that's for anyone who's been impacted directly by intimate partner violence, domestic assault, stalking, sexual assault. All of those reasons would be covered. And then we also have leave if you're needing to take care of things that people think about the most, which is that own health condition, right? Nobody can protect when they're going to need to have their appendix removed, for example. Or you may be supporting a family member who's receiving dialysis treatments and you're the person that needs to help get them back and forth to their treatments. All of those things would be appropriate reasons to take leave under the Colorado Family Program. You asked about the actual benefit payments. So that is done on a sliding scale and it's mm -hmm. based on income and how that compares to the state's average weekly wage. So some of our lower income earners in the state of Colorado, they may see as high as a 90% wage replacement, but we do cap benefits at a maximum of $1,100 per week for those higher income earners. So essentially the more money that you make, the lower the percentage of your pay will be replaced. So really do think of it as that sliding scale. Uh, the team did a really great job of putting a benefits calculator up on our website because we know this kind of stuff can make people's brains hurt, but it is out there and it's really easy for everyone to access. Indeed it is. Uh, that's uh, that's so funny, Tracy, that <laughs> making folks' brains hurt. When, whenever uh, I'm counseling and, and talking to a company about paid family medical leave programs, and the topic pivots to how do we calculate the pay for the workers? And we start looking at those different percentages and the statewide average weekly wage up to X amount. And then the, the percentage goes to a different percentage. When you cross a threshold, my brain certainly starts to hurt. So, so that calculator is, is totally useful. <laughs> you, you know, uh, another point that you made that I, I think is a really great call out, you know, certainly uh, for individuals who are listening today and you know, are, are getting up to speed on the program and are thinking, you know, well, maybe this is, you know, very similar to, say, the federal FMLA, right? It is the breadth of some of 
the family member, right, definition, as you mentioned, you know, ha- has a lot of tentacles, including sort of this broad catch-all, you know, doesn't just have to be related by blood. It can be someone who's sort of equivalent of a family relationship. And same thing with broad reasons for use, you know, covering safe time, right, as you mentioned. Those are big sort of steps forward beyond, say, the federal FMLA. And that's that's common across these paid family medical leave programs, not just in Colorado. So it's, it's important to note that Colorado is keeping up with that trend of having these reasons for use, family members, things like that, go beyond what some companies might be used to would say just the federal FMLA. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think also the coverage for people who are employees of smaller companies that yeah. should buy that, you know, that 50 number cap. Uh, they're certainly covered by Colorado's program, most certainly. And individuals that are self-employed or are gig workers, they're certainly welcome to apply as well. So I do think the state has done a really good job of ensuring that coverage is available for mm-hmm. just about anybody who wants to take it. Yeah, it's great. Great points. Great points. Um, let me ask you this. In terms of program funding, can you explain how Colorado family is and is going to continue to be funded? You know, is the funding solely on the shoulders of companies or is there an ability to spread some of the costs out to employees as well? The way that Colorado is funded, it's set up as a social insurance fund. So the numbers where we're set right now are 0.9% of an employee's wages and half of that contribution is made by the employer the other half is made by the individual employee now it's certainly an option if an employer wishes to pay the whole thing as part of their benevolence and their their benefits package they're certainly welcome to do that but it's not something that the state requires but our employers that are maybe operating a small business so that's going to be those that have nine or fewer employees they're only required to submit that 0.45% employee portion they're not required to do the employer piece. So we're doing that as a way of trying to lessen the burden for those smaller businesses and provide them with the opportunity to offer a benefit at a reasonable price that they may not have been able to offer previously. As far as that premium rate increasing, decreasing potentially, the statute did cap it at 1.2%. So no matter what happens in Colorado, we will never see an increase above the 1.2%. Our hope is certainly that we'll be able to reduce the 0.9% over time, but it really will depend on the performance of the fund and the utilization rate by Colorado's workforce. So time will tell on that one. We certainly have options available to us. And as I'm sure you're very, very well aware, many other states have been able to decrease those premium rates and actually increase the benefit amounts over time. So we're going to remain optimistic that we end up in a similar situation. Yep, yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, it's something that my, my leave and accommodations team here at SciFarth and I, as we hit the Q4 of a particular year, one of the things we're always looking for from the existing state programs are how are some of those numbers changing? How are the maximum weekly benefits? How are the annual contribution numbers? What What's that going to look like heading into the new benefit year? And as you said, it is not uncommon for programs to be able to increase the weekly benefit amount by 
a bit, uh, not always, but but certainly sometimes, and then also to decrease the amount of the overall you know annual contributions uh, that employees would need to pay in to the program uh, as well. So no, great great points, and certainly worth uh, aspiring for. My next question, a big one that I've been asked by companies over the last few months as the family January 1st go live date approaches involves uh, application processing. How are you and your team preparing for the wave of PFML, pay family medical leave applications that eligible workers are likely going to be submitting. You, know, you mentioned a few minutes ago that they've already started submitting their applications uh, for benefits when the floodgates opened a couple of weeks ago. So how are you all preparing uh, for these applications to come through? And then what is the approval process going to look like, as well as you know, maybe timing to sort of turn around uh, approval once an application is submitted? Also great questions. I, I would say that as far as how are we preparing, we've done nothing but prepare for the last two years. So we, we've known exactly when our tsunami was coming. So we've all been learning to swim. We've had really good support and communication with the states that have gone before us. So as, as your listeners and you are fully aware, we're the ninth state to go live with a PFML program statewide. And I've spoken to all the other eight and said, what would you do differently if today was your day? And what would you make sure that you did in a way that would maybe be more helpful to your staff and more helpful to the claimants that are needing to take this time away from work? And one of the big takeaways was open early. Uh, We spoke to states that had made the decision to open maybe three weeks early. They felt that wasn't perhaps enough time. We spoke with other states that launched actually on day zero. So, you know, benefits were effective 1-1 and they opened on 1-1. And they found that really, really difficult to manage, you know. And looking in the rearview mirror is really easy and a luxury that most of us don't get to have. So we listened to that feedback. We decided that we were going to open about six weeks early and that's what we did so that we can give the appropriate attention, not just to the claims, but also give the appropriate attention to our staff and make sure that we're doing that on the job training so that they're fully aware of what's an appropriate leave to be making a determination to approve and what's an appropriate leave that maybe we need to be sending back because this was not something that we're able to cover under families program. So Colorado workers are certainly able to submit those claims now. It'll take them, gosh, 10 minutes or less to do that in our system. So a really, really easy process. Um, I will definitely give a, a shout out and a brag to the team that we went as far as taking our testing into rural libraries to make sure that they could do this on a computer in a library in a very small, remote, beautiful part of our state. We need to make sure that this is accessible for everyone. So we went to great lengths to do that. We went out into areas with less than ideal internet bandwidth. We used smartphones that are probably not quite so smart anymore, and we made sure that they could still file an application using those. So I really do think that as a state and as an agency, we've done everything we can to try and keep this accessible for individuals. We have a fully staffed contact center that we run in-house. This is, this is not housed anywhere else. It's right here in Colorado. And our team have been getting prepared and getting trained on this for many, many months, ready to take calls. Right now, our wait time is 
essentially zero. We have more people than we do phone calls right now, but I'm certain that will be changing before long. So if anybody needs help, they're certainly welcome to reach out. Our staff are wonderful. They're super friendly. They're very, very well trained and they're ready to, to help anyone that needs it. The expectation from the statute is that we will process claims within two weeks, bearing in mind that for a claim to be fully submitted, we have to have everything, right? All the ducks need to be in a row. They need to have gone through identity verification. We need to have the supporting documentation. Everything would need to be done. And then we have a commitment to be getting that payment out within two weeks of that leave starting. So not necessarily the date the leave was submitted, right? Because we know that people will submit those in advance, but certainly that first missed day from work, if you're able to predict when you need time away from your job. Really great. I thank you for all of those details, practical, helpful, on the ground, really useful content all, all across the board. You know, I loved at the beginning of that last response, your analogy, you know, you all knew when this tsunami was coming and you've, you've been learning how to swim uh, ever since for the last couple of years. I, I think that that's that's wonderful and spot on. <laughs> um, and uh, and, I, and I'll say as well, other great takeaways, you know, certainly as other paid family medical leave programs that are in their infancy and, and early stages that are coming uh, online over the next several years, hearing some of these takeaways listening to feedback from other programs, what worked well, what didn't work well, getting your, your, your team, getting their hands dirty, right? Traveling to different parts of the state, trying on different devices, you know, local libraries and all of that. I mean, it's, it's wonderful effort and, and a testament, I think, to the seriousness with which you all are taking the, this program's rollout. So, you know, kudos and, and that, that's really, really helpful stuff. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Pivoting to a, a new topic, you know, one of the topics in the paid family medical leave realm that fascinates me, and it proves to be quite challenging for companies, is how to coordinate the paid family medical leave program benefits with company-provided paid leave and time off. And this topic has many layers. For instance, coordination can mean determining whether the benefits can be run concurrently, you know, together or if they have to be, be run separately. It can also mean determining how the employee uh, will be compensated, you know, which program or policy pays for which part of the time off. And while not every paid family medical leave program sort of clearly addresses this, there are big differences between paid time off benefits, you know, things like PTO, sick, vacation time on the one hand, and then on the other hand, paid leaves of absence, things like paid parental leave and short-term disability and so forth. Uh, and thus, how a statutory paid family medical leave program uh, and those benefits are coordinated with those different company-provided benefits can trigger different considerations. So with that background, can you give our listeners some sense sort of how Colorado Family and, and the program addresses coordination and benefits on, on these different points? I certainly can. And this is really where we do start getting into kind of the, the nitty gritty policy side of things, right? The regulations, the statute, and obviously FMLA laws too. So Colorado's family leave is designed to run concurrently with the federal FMLA. And as you said, employers do have a lot of flexibility with how they want to coordinate family leave with the other off benefits that they may be offering to their employees currently. 
employers can require employees to exhaust family leave in order to access benefits such as their internal short-term disability or LTD or any other kind of paid parental leave that they may be offering on top of the family program. Another example is that an employer can require that when an employee uses family, that usage offsets the available leave under an STD, LTD or parental leave policy. Right now, family does not run concurrently with employer-provided paid leave like PTO, vacation, sick leave. So what that basically means is using family is not going to reduce an employee's available PTO bank. I think that's somewhere where employers can often see some confusion, or certainly they did in the beginning, where they were saying, we have unlimited PTO, we don't need to worry about this. But they're very, very separate things, and offering unlimited PTO is not the same as offering family. Employers and employees can certainly mutually agree to use any accrued PTO, vacation, or sick leave as a top-off to the family benefit, so a way to make themselves whole with that wage replacement. And that's so long as the total amount from the combined PTO and family doesn't exceed what their average weekly wage should be. So you can't make a profit by being on leave, right? There's no incentive then to return to the workplace. Employers would also need to make sure that any agreement to do that is done in writing. So the employer can't require this. The employer and the employee, they need to work together and mutually agree to that kind of program. Thank you for that, Tracy. That, that's, that's great detail uh, and, and really helpful points uh, across the board. You know, one part of the family program that, that I've appreciated, is, as well as a number of the clients that I work with have appreciated, and this is you know, going back to comments I provided to the family task force in November 2019, is the importance of keeping paid time off on the one hand and paid leaves of absence on the other hand separate when describing coordination of benefits and the standards and the requirements in these statutes and regulations. And as, as you just described, uh, Colorado Family has, has done just that, has recognized uh, the importance of having you know, a demarcated line in the sand, if you will, of how those benefits will be treated and clearly describing what, what that process will be like. So that's great. That's great. I want to zoom in on one particular aspect of coordination of benefits, which you briefly mentioned at the end of your last comment there, which is with respect to paid sick and PTO and vacation, the family rules discuss that agreements between the company and the worker to be able to use their vacation, PTO, sick time, and so forth to sort of make up the difference, right, to top up uh, what they're receiving from Colorado family um, needs to be, one, mutually agreed, but, but then, two, needs to be uh, in writing. So on that writing piece, can, can you confirm sort of to, to show that there is an agreement? Would it work? Would it be sufficient for the employer to have a policy that allows the employees to do this, right, to coordinate their sick vacation or PTO with Colorado family benefits, and then to also require the employee to, say, complete a form electing to use their accrued PTO sick and so forth in, in that way? Yeah, that should be fine as long as it's documented again in writing and shows an agreement by both the employer and the employee. Mm, great. That's great. Um, and what about this? And I, I promise this is my, my last one on coordination of benefits. Uh, if an employee and their employer have uh, agreed to use accrued PTO to make up the difference between the employee's average weekly wage and the, the weekly family uh, benefit uh, amount, can the employer require that 
the family application first be approved by the division for that period of time that the worker is seeking to be absent before the employee can receive PTO payments for that period? This is, again, kind of getting deep into that coordination of benefits piece, right, which many employers are asking these kinds of questions, so it's certainly a good one. Um, If the employer and the employee agree to top off those family benefits using the PTO, then there's nothing in the Family Act or our rules that would prohibit that sort of requirement. But employers are really encouraged to discuss this with their internal legal counsel to ensure that they're being compliant with any other laws and regulations that are applicable in their area. If it's discovered that an employee is improperly paid PTO or sick leave, then employers may be able to recoup that overpayment. But it's it's not something that's going to be strictly coming from our family programs guidance. Wonderful. Tracy, th- thank you for all of that. Uh, like I said a few minutes ago, this topic, the coordination of benefits topic, fascinates me. Uh, it's, it's one of the most complicated parts of, of my counseling practice. So I appreciate you getting into the weeds uh, with, with me on those last few questions. Let's pivot to the topic of private plans for, for just a couple of minutes. A number of employers uh, that I and, and my SIFARTH paid leave team colleagues work with have applied for or are considering applying for a private plan for purposes of complying with Colorado Family. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about the private plan option under your program? So how does it work? What are some of the substantive criteria that the employer's plan must meet? And, And while I know there are, in addition to substantive criteria, certain administrative obligations that companies also need to satisfy for the application process and then also post-approval. Do any of those administrative obligations in particular sort of stand out that you think are, are, are worth calling out for folks? I think Colorado has done really well in our partnership with the DOI, so the Department of Insurance. We've worked with them very, very closely to ensure that we can make this process smooth for our insurance carriers. I believe right now we have 18 or 19 different carriers that are approved to be offering a Colorado family equivalent plan. And that's the key piece really is that equivalency. So essentially private plans have to offer the same benefits, right, and protections to employees as a state plan does. And their benefit application process can't be any more cumbersome or burdensome for individuals. So they need to be offering something essentially the same. They can offer something better if they choose to. So there's nothing to say that a a private plan can't offer greater benefits than the state's plan, but it certainly can't offer less. As far as the process is concerned, employers will need to submit their application to get private plan approval. They do that by logging into their My Family Plus employer account. And that's the online application system that they're already using to report those quarterly wages and pay their premiums. Our website has lots of how-to guides and videos on all of that, so certainly easy to self-serve for those that are interested in taking that approach. One of the most important things for employers to know is that after they get approval from the family division to use their private plan, they're required to communicate that with their employees, right? Um, I tell people often telepathy is not a communication style. People actually need to know what they're supposed to be doing and what decisions have been made. So it really is a um, expectation of employers that they tell their staff how they are covered. 
we are seeing people reach out to us thinking that they're covered under the state's plan, but their employer actually has selected to go with a private plan. So again, I just would encourage, whether it's through um, employee email or internal communications in some way or an employer handbook, whatever it may be, employers really do need to let their staff know how they're meeting their family obligations for coverage. Um, obviously, if an employer has selected to go with a private plan, then their individual employees will not need to come to us. They won't apply with us. They'll be going directly to their employer or their carrier or their TPA or whoever it is that's taking care of that benefits adjudication for them. But those are not folks that should be coming over to us at the state because we won't be able to help them, unfortunately. Uh, for the administrative obligations, again, I would just refer your listeners to the materials that we have available online, because I think otherwise you and I could sit here for about six hours talking about those. And that may not be the most interesting podcast ever. I would certainly enjoy it, though, uh, Tracy. That would, that, would be, that would be a good afternoon on my, in my book. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much nuance and, and so many good, good tidbits from that last response. Uh, obviously. The private plan option is is complicated, but it's a really, really important aspect of these state paid family medical leave programs to give employers you know, some level of flexibility with respect to how they're going to administer and comply uh, with, with these obligations. Uh, and and one, one point that uh, you, you made there that jumped out, I think I heard correctly, uh, among many points that jumped out, but one of them to me was, I think I heard you say, and let me know if I'm misstating this, that you and your team ha had also, in getting this pri the private plan conditions and regulations set, set into place, you also coordinated with the Colorado State Insurance Division. Uh, did, did, I, did I hear that right? Like for, the, for state disability insurance and, and things like that, did, did, I, did I hear that part correctly? Yeah, we absolutely did, because we want to make sure that we're not putting any um, barriers in the way of our insurance carriers, right? They're the experts in this field, and we need to make sure that as a state entity, we're being supportive and not putting barriers in the way for employers that have made the decision to go with a private carrier. We want to be respectful of that. So the way to do that is to make sure that we're communicating with the, the insurance carrier industry and making sure that we're getting advice from DOI. Yeah, absolutely. My ears kind of perked up. In my last episode of Take It or Leave It, I had the pleasure of, of having a full episode sort of devoted to disability and family leave as a class of insurance uh, and discussing with one of the industry experts uh, from the ACLI uh, group um, on, on these exact issues and kind of the interplay between those those state insurance laws and the state paid family medical leave programs. So uh, really just great, great fact to hear, hear, hear that was part of the process. Let me keep our finger on the private plan button here, Tracy, for just another quick minute. So one aspect of Colorado family that is unique, I believe, compared to other paid family medical leave programs is the premium refund component involving employers who did not or, or do not have an approved private plan, but, you know, and thus needed to collect and remit premiums to the state at various points throughout 2023, but who have subsequently obtained an approved private plan. Uh, in these instances, and, and I understand that the employer would be eligible for a refund of those premiums that were paid into the public program uh, in 2023 if the private plan uh, effective date is on or before 
January 1, 2024. So with all that being said, not sure if I, if I got that all right, so please let me know if I didn't. Uh, but assuming I got it all right or mostly right, can you explain a bit about how the refund process works, how it's been going? Have there been any challenges with processing the refunds? Uh, and if an employer hasn't yet switched to a private plan, but after hearing about this refund things that they, they might be interested in doing so, if they make the switch now or in the coming weeks, would they still be eligible for that refund? So I'll take us back in time just a little bit. So we, we had, all, all things considered, we had a very, very short runway to get this program stood up. So from the time that the voters decided they wanted it to us actually paying out benefits in just a couple of weeks here, it's not a big duration of time to build technology, write rules, get process, build a team, all of the good stuff that comes with setting up this kind of business. One of the challenges that we faced was making sure that we had all the steps in place for an employer to be able to select a private plan. And we didn't feel that was something that could be rushed. We needed to get it right and we needed to do it correctly the first time. It's certainly a lot harder for employers to unwind those choices that they've made than it is just to pause and make sure that they've made the right one. So part of the process for that was that we allowed employers to start paying in those premiums on January 1st, regardless of what they expected their future decision to be, because we were aware that there wasn't a viable marketplace out there for them at that time from which they could have a variety of private plan carriers to select from. Then when we started receiving the private plan applications, and obviously we had that robust approval process in place, then we were able to open up that marketplace to employers and say, now you have that selection of just under 20 different carriers. You can go in and you can shop around and you can figure out what works best for you as an organization. That's not something we would have been able to do 12 months ago. So that's the reason that we went the path that we went. So now recognizing that some employers have paid us money but they fully intended to go with a private carrier. We did say that if you informed us by October 31st, that we would refund them any payments they had made to us before that October 31st deadline. So we're currently in the process of contacting those employers that we know have selected a private plan, and we're working through that refund process with them. No, that, thank you. Thank you, Tracy. That is really informative and a really unique aspect of the program, as I mentioned a minute ago. So, so Tracy, you know, one, one question that comes to mind, and we've talked about this a bit throughout the program today in some of your responses, but something that I think is really interesting, given your unique position in the middle of Colorado family, have you been contacted by or have you, you know, reached out to any of your counterpoints in other state paid family medical leave programs to discuss do's and don'ts and lessons learned and best practices and so forth? We certainly have. In fact, that was one of the first steps that we took when I joined the agency was reaching out to the eight people that have done this before me. There's not very many of us out there. Um, what we're seeing now is that it's time for us to really pay that forward. We're getting contacted by other states that are coming behind us, you know, Maine, Minnesota, all the M states seem to have decided to do this for the next few years. So we're now having conversations with them. We're bringing the group together where we've had a couple of in-person meetings with the 
high-level leadership teams of these different state programs, and we're continuing to learn what it means to actually be in the absence industry because it's not something that states have had to worry about before. But now we're finding ourselves as being very, very key players in the absence industry, and we need to learn what that means. Perfect. Now that that is that is so useful. Really, a, a, a wonderful peek behind the curtain for an industry like you said that isn't isn't all that large, and there's only still a handful of folks who are where where you and your team are. So that that's great. Great that everyone is, is communicating. Let me ask. I've just got a couple of questions left for today. A question that regularly is thrown around by employers is something along the lines of why are the state pay family medical leave programs so different. Why is this patchwork of laws so varied? Things along those lines. Tracy, do you have any thoughts on why state paid family leave and paid family medical leave programs across the country tend to have differences and sometimes broad differences within the substantive contours of their different paid family leave programs? This can be on topics such as eligibility or scope of covered absences and family members, the amount of, of leave that's being permitted over the 12-month period, percentage of wage replacement, and, and, and so forth. I think that really ties into the patchwork of our country, right? What, what would work for employees in Alaska may not work for employees in Florida. We're going to see that as leaves continue to play out. The workers in different states are saying what their communities need, and the states are listening. And I think, I really do think this will continue. We've got differences in workforces, the type of businesses, proximity to other states, people maybe in some of the commuter states where they, you know, live in Massachusetts and work in Pennsylvania. And I really hope I got that geography correct, and that's actually a doable thing. But in the case of, of Colorado, our leave program is, is the only one that, again, has been approved by voters. So it makes it very, very unique. And there were specific things that the workers and the Colorado voters said that they wanted. And other states have gone through the legislative process to do this. And that alone adds many, many more layers and um, can create the nuances that states are seeing between different programs. That is, is a great, great response, Tracy, and really, really insightful points. I do think the drive from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania is doable. It might, it might take a bit, but I, I, think, I think it can be done. I'm sure there is, there is a worker out there who is splitting time between the two, so I feel, I feel confident in saying that. Oh, yes, okay, good. <laughs> um, here's my final question uh, for you. So, and I'm curious, as you've spent time really immersing yourself in this, this industry, this absence management leave industry, do you have any thoughts on the prospects for federal paid family leave? You know, this is a topic I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I'm curious, you know, do you think a federal program is possible in the next, say, three to five years? And if so, how do you envision it impacting existing state paid family medical leave programs like, like Colorado Family? I certainly think it's possible, but I would be very, very surprised if it happened in the next five years. I think that would be a very um, aggressive goal. I'd also be surprised if a federal program were to be as generous as some of the state programs. I, I think if there is a federal program that comes in for all workers across the country, it may set a new floor, but it would be very unlikely to set a ceiling for 
for those states that have already got these programs up and running. So let's say, for example, a, a federal program was to offer four weeks of paid family and medical leave, then I could see states like Colorado continuing with their 12-week offering, but somebody would utilize that first four weeks of federal leave, and then our benefit would kick in for the remaining period of time. So I think it's I, I don't think it's an impossible thing to happen. Do I think it's likely in the next five years? Honestly, not really. Yeah, I, I think you are in the majority uh, of, of that uh, that opinion there, Tracy. It does seem like a very steep hill uh, to climb, but work is going on, you know, in the inner workings of, of Capitol Hill. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where, where that one lands. Thank you so much, Tracy, for spending time with us today for sharing your wealth of knowledge, your practical insights on the country's newest paid family medical leave program, the Colorado Family Program, as it approaches its January 1st, 2024 go live milestone. Thank you so much for having us, much appreciated. Yes, it was my pleasure. And I would love, you know, six months, 12 months down the road to have you back on here, how things are going uh, with the program and the rollout after the claim processing is, is, is really, uh, really going on. So uh, you're welcome back at any time. Thank you. Thanks. And wishing you and your team uh, good luck next month with the launch. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in for today's episode. We'll see you next time.